0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, Gary. Hello, Guy. I believe you've dragged yourself out of your sick bed for the sake
1: of all oh, I've, I've I've had flu. I, I stupidly didn't get a jab. I don't know why. I kept walking past chemists going, I've got to go in and get a jab. But that's kind of for old people, you know. I, I am yeah, an old person, and I should have the... gone and got a jab. And I've I've literally suffered.
0: It's but, hubris. Uh, so.
1: That's hubris. That is gal. Greatest prog band ever, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I think I'd, I'm probably on an album.
1: Um, do you know? what I was
0: thinking, right, the something. You know, when we had Francis Rossi on, and yes. it came up about that old adage: how you should always wear clean underpants in case you get hit by a bus. Oh, yeah. A friend of mine, Simon London, very funny man. I've got to give him credit. Never mind clean underpants. You should always be very careful of what you put on anyway, because if you do get hit by a bus, that's your ghost outfit forever.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, which well, I mean, is actually... What well, have you got your Christmas jumper on? You know, you're not going to really be scaring people very much in that, are you? Which,
1: which kind of makes me happy, because it, it means to say that Tommy Cooper has still got his fez on. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of someone you'd love to see when yeah, you get to heaven
0: right does it go white like um like kenneth copes oh yes
1: <laughs> um so today's a special kind of rock tours that we're doing uh, which is where you, we, you've you've been sending us some questions, and yes. um, we've got a bunch of them. Uh, our producer Ben has helped,
0: and we've gone through them and decided they're all rubbish and just made up our own that make yeah. us sound really good.
1: And he's <laughs> taken off all the insulting ones that might make us cry.
0: Yes, well, we had a we had a good old cry before we came on.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so you you just bought an axe, you said. Is this from Denmark Street? Is this a, an old 60s <laughs> yeah, SG? Like, yeah. yeah, it's a 58335, man. No, I actually went to the building
0: shop and I had to buy an axe because, of course, well, I now live out in the country and I'm going to chop up an old kitchen unit to use it as kindling because it's beyond saving. But it was very funny. The guy actually said... Um, what do you want it for, sir? And <laughs> I was going to ask some gaffer tape and plastic sheeting and cable ties as well. <laughs> but instead, I just said, Well, actually, I'm a writer, but I've just got a job looking after a hotel that's closed for the season.
1: Ah, yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm sure most Ghostly. of our
0: listeners will get that reference
1: Ghostly Twins. Um, exactly. So, okay, welcome to The Rock on Sirs. <laughs>
0: Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm Sitting in the back of the car coming into London, they're brilliant. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it and doing this podcast. It, it's, uh, it's fabulous.
1: Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a pint. That's what I think.
0: I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called
1: Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh yeah, two, get two, good three, at yeah. something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about fifty hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on
0: rocking! Ah!
1: So, what well, has been quite a year for Rock Hunters, hasn't it, Guy? Uh, yes, it has. Who we had on? I haven't even got what who we've had on in front of me. I should be like whisking through this. Yeah, no, it has. Because we, I tell you why it's been quite a year. Because um, we've been on tour we, we were away yeah. for 19 weeks and much of that we did uh rock on tours through um which was quite interesting wasn't it trying to find wi-fi in different hotels in
0: oh yeah God no we had, a, we had a couple of very exciting i remember in um it was Edinburgh or glasgow running around a hotel where there was just no functioning wi-fi anywhere and i think you had building going on outside your room and it was all very scrabbly last minute stuff and i ended up in a i ended up in a boardroom and then realized, was 10 minutes in and realized my computer was about to die. And the only mains outlet was on the other side of the room. Had to somehow shift my whole operation whilst, you know, not interrupting the interview.
1: Talking to Neil Finn, I think we were.
0: I think, no, that wasn't Neil. Phil. no, Neil Finn was all right. Do you know what is funny, though, is um, I put up a tease about our guest this week on Facebook. Just said, oh, super producer incoming. And loads of people were putting, you know, people put up guesses of who they think it's going to be. Was slightly annoying was most of the guesses were people who have been on. It's like, keep up, people. There's only, what, 110 to
1: listen to. What's wrong with you? I know. When you go back to the beginning, though, we were were very different then. I know it's not that long ago. We were younger men. We were three years ago, mate. Oh, Christ. But... um, we were, you know, those early episodes maybe just a little bit more stilted, you know, I'd written the questions down, you know, but where
0: I, I think, think what it we- tended to be you were a lot more serious and I was a bit too jokey perhaps, which is obviously it's a nerves thing. You know, we're finding our way.
1: Yeah, and we of course they all started face to face, didn't they? That's right. I mean, it's the
0: same how much of a faff it was. You had to find someone who had that time to be somewhere, you know, and we had to go into a studio
1: like going down to Trevor Horn's studio in the middle yeah. of, he was recording something, wasn't he? And then we, yeah. we, you know, and and I think what changed, what made, obviously, what made lots of podcasts everywhere what they are was the lockdown. And... You were trying to the find the, the word there, the, there weren't you? you were I was to trying to, to find of, the word. Had, had I didn't want to say...
0: This our horrific global pandemic.
1: I know. That's what I wanted to say, but it was too depressing. I know. Uh, because lockdown made everyone more confessional so that you if you go back to the uh, period when we're talking nice to point. different artists during that period, it seems that there was a lot more a willingness to open up you know and to say things that were maybe a bit more emotional. What they weren't doing is what they are tending to do now, which is promote goods. Right? That's right.
0: No, you're right. Yeah, You're right. Rather than promoting a new record,
1: they were sitting in a room thinking, I'm going to die in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, there was a sense of, and also no one had a record out, you know. So when they did bring start to all bring records out towards... Uh, at the end of lockdown, I think we, we found ourselves, you know, also doing interviews that were talking about people's new material. Yeah. It's probably why, you know, as much as I like doing younger artists, you know, we had the Cress on, it was fantastic. Miles Kane was on. The older person definitely has a sense of like, I better get this out now while I'm still here.
0: I think there's also a sense of, of, of because when you are a younger artist, your whole life is about right now. Who am I right now? What am I doing right now? You know, as opposed to you know, is I, I think for yeah. this sort of chat, people who are in a reflective frame of mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, Should we have a look at some questions? No. Okay. Says um, <laughs> so goodnight from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, where are these questions? Hang on, Ben Jones sent us these questions, and 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 so I have to find. I'm just going to put in a thumb and pull out a, a plum, shall I, as they say. Um, and this is from Frank Jakob. Oh, God, it's going to be someone who's got a name I can't pronounce immediately. Frank. Yes. Get, Yac- get Siri to say it. Jakobovitz. <laughs> who's Jakobovitz? Who says, Who do you most wish you had the chance to see perform live? But never did, I guess, is what he's
0: saying. Uh, that's a good point, isn't it? Um, I mean, I've, I think I sort of saw everyone I've wanted to see.
1: Probably Hendrix. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, so, yeah, I mean, not many people actually did see Hendrix in the UK, did they? I mean, he wasn't, like, permanently touring, was he?
0: No, probably he did quite a lot, but uh, that's always, uh, anyone who was there, you know, Pete Townsend always talks about, says it was literally like being in the presence of a shaman.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, then, I suppose, then you can start saying Frank Sinatra for me, you know, because I never saw Frank. Well, it's Charlie Parker,
0: exactly, you know, so. But,
1: but, I mean, in reality, the, I...
0: I, Actually, no, you're right. You're someone who we... Perhaps we should limit it to someone we could have seen.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it would have been Mark Boland. I never saw Mark Boland play. You know, I was young at the uh. time, so it was my one of my first loves. And then, as I said before, Slade was the band that I first got into and first saw live. But um, I think I would have liked to. Yeah, I'd love to have seen Mark because I think Mark had that that presence. And and uh, and I guess I am then, if you do want to take one step back, quite envious of those people we've had on who talk about you know like um. Peter Asher said about going down to the UFO club and seeing, you know, Mark on on his rug, uh, cross legged, doing his thing, you know, with his corkscrew hair. Yeah. Um, I mean, but this was the great face, but, um, but yeah, never never got to see him.
0: That's where you. This is where that thing of you just being two years older than me. I said this is something that, that becomes really okay. interesting, which is meaningless. No, no, no. But it's meaningless now. But in the music, it, it, to do with the music we listened to and saw and everything when we were younger. It does create this, you know, vast... I never saw The Who With Keith Moon.
1: Oh! Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, I saw them three times uh, with Keith. So I saw... They did two nights at Hammersmith Odeon, or maybe they were on separate occasions. I can't remember. I went with my brother to all of them. um, Because that was the other thing. I I ended up having to take my brother everywhere, you know, because if I was... I'd be 15, he'd be 13. So that was always... A slight drag for me. So, it, so he gets <laughs> to see all these these acts quite young. But we we went to see them at Hammersmith Odeon
0: and you had Charlton, Charlton.
1: Charlton, you know. And I'm going to say it again because you know <laughs> Charlton was extraordinary gig. Um, it was quite a disgusting place because I do remember sort of people throwing bags of piss over their heads in plastic bags. You know, sort of because no mm. one could be bothered to go or couldn't reach the toilets. Because I mean facilities in those days at an open air show and not like they are. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It today. Was a burger van and kind
1: of. And of course there were no screens as well. So if you were at the back of Charlton, you know, That's right. they yeah. were all tiny. Yeah, good luck mate. It, do you know what the worst I'll
0: tell you the worst is when the last shows they did, when they did Shepparton you know, for um
1: for the yeah, kids', kids were 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 all, all
0: right. right yeah. They put it on Capital Radio uh, that any Who fans get down. So it was the Kilburn Gomont in fact, the Kilburn Gomont And my mate Anthony who you met in Brussels it's my school friend. He He, of course, back then, I was just out. And he heard it and he ran around and he went to everywhere we used to go. He went to Shaws, the local department shop with the record department. He went to Sundown Records on the Lower Marsh. Uh, he went to everywhere where he thought I might be and he couldn't find me. So he just went on his own.
1: Oh, no, you missed that. I missed it, yeah. They were amazing live. Uh, live Aid, you know, Pete said to me and he knew I was a fan, you know, and he said, look, you stick with me. We walk up on the side of the stage when I go up. To, to to do Live Aid and I and I walked with with Pete and I stood on John's side of the stage as Oof, as Pete walked across your poor ears I swear I just all it was was bass going through <laughs> <Yeah>. my chest <laughs> but I realised what the power chord that Pete was famous for really was Pete would do the Yagadang, dang of course but it was all the treble but the real the thump was the doo dum that, uh, yeah, yeah, that John yeah. would play on the bass. But, and of course, I hadn't played for eight years. But it was it was with Kenny, who's been one of our guests as well.
0: Exactly, yeah, a fabulous guest he was too. That's why I would have loved to, the small faces, man. Would have loved to have seen them in their pomp.
1: Well, I think that's it, isn't it? To be when you say in their pomp, what you really mean is is at that moment when it was crystallizing. Yes, you know, yeah.
0: So when if, it was literally a, being made up in a small to, Soho a, club. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, like you know, like to see sid and the floyd in the ufo would yeah. have been ridiculously amazing and unforgettable as peter asher told us it was and a few other guests we've had on
0: yeah although i would um, point out that i went to see pink floyd do the wall at earl's court both years 79 and 80 or 1881 and uh it's still the best thing i've ever seen
1: extraordinary piece of theater
0: yeah Apart from Sweeney Todd by Sondheim, which I saw 13 times.
1: Did you? And I did. <laughs> what is it it makes you want to go and see it again and yeah, again? I don't
0: know. There was something, I don't know. It was so in tune with the sort of punk ethos of the time. It was all Dickensian and, and the about the injustice of society, you know.
1: Yeah, but also fantastic tunes,
0: music and lyrics. Tunes, mate. Come on. Have you got one you can read out? Mark Jones says i've listened to every episode and david coverdale is my standout favorite well that's a big tune for sure uh, what are your <laughs> most memorable moments so far um do, do you know mick
1: fleetwood was yes. the moment when mick says and of course it's even sadder now because it, that this can't happen that he just said he, he 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 knew and he hoped that one day all the original five members would you know that we but you know post peter green obviously would walk onto the stage together uh, as Fleetwood Mac, yeah. and there was a tear in his eye. He started getting yeah, chubbed up.
0: Yeah, uh, I was, I was. Well, it's not really that. But I remember it probably because it was so recent. But um, when Andrew Lou Golden dropped, the, he was at school with Nick Mason, and then there's a bit of me that thinks, how the hell didn't I know that? And then there's the worrying thing of maybe I did know that. Yeah. But but then you think, where's the conversation where Nick says that? You know, oh, I went to a crammer with Andrew Lou Golden.
1: It's kind of fascinating though, isn't it? That, yeah. that that in the same room together was the guy who was going to basically invent the Rolling Stones <laughs> yeah. and the guy who was going to make Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, do you know what? I really liked Roland Orsboe's interview that we did. I did, I always feel weird saying interviews. They're not really interviews. No, they're chats. They? It was sort of chats. Really. Uh, I think there was a moment when, you know, he was definitely talking about, his relationship with his fellow band member, Kurt, you know, and just, yeah. I think that he got quite emotional about that. So I suppose it's those, It's I think what we have, I'm hoping what we have is we're sort of not that interview, you know, journalistic type interviewer who can be a little, where I've, I know what it's like when I'm being interviewed, I'm on my guard. I've got prepared lines, you know, yeah. and uh, there are only so much. There's only so much I can give and want to say. But I think if you're talking to fellow musicians and people who you think are your friends,
0: <laughs> well, it's quite. So funny. they desert I, you? Yeah, I've had to learn interviewing in the last sort of fifty. Because when as when I was before, I, it was only when I started doing my comedy, doing stand up, that I started getting interviewed by anyone other than kind of bass player magazine. And, and it's quite funny because you would have learned this very, very early on, Gary, the thing of boundaries of like the reason you have to have prepared lines so that you know not what not to say.
1: Exactly. For everyone's sake. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise you can't go back into the rehearsal room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's so many different types of guests that, you know, that you've got the kind of, you know, I remember Noel Gallagher being on and Johnny Marr being on. Very, very relaxed guys, you know, and easy chatting you know, not worried about you know chatting about their relationship with with you know their, yeah, yeah. their nemesis is that have become you know like Morrissey and and and, and Liam
0: well, nemesis is that the-
1: nemesis yes <laughs> and then and then you've got the opposite of that which is sort of you know John Bon Jovi and Alice Cooper who were very
0: very well presented yeah they? Um can I just tell a little story though you mentioned Noel Gallagher can I just say. I have never been so scared of doing a Rock on as when we were going to do Noel Gallagher, who was one of the most delightful, charming people we've ever spoken to. Um, but that is not his rep, right? And so I want to point out that I was so scared, a few days before he came on, I actually texted Johnny Marr to say, hey, we're getting Noel on, um, you know, do you think he'll be all right? And he was going, oh man, jo-, you know, Noel's a brother, it'll be fantastic guy, but great. And I literally sent that in the hope that Johnny was going to text Noel and say, go easy on them, guys, all right.
1: <laughs> they might be southern softies. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. Might be soft southern shite, but...
1: There, There is a moment, isn't there, when we're waiting for a guest, and because we do most of our interviews now on Zoom, obviously, virtually all of them, yeah. that we're waiting for our guests to appear on, this, on our monitor in front of us. And that can be quite terrifying, can't it? You're not quite sure what they're going to look like. I remember when JJ Burnell came on and he was wearing his sunglasses, wasn't he? And he just looked yeah. really fierce. And it, I think it took him about an hour to get to like us, didn't it really?
0: Uh, this, but that is a funny thing you say that, which is why if you notice on all our intros, because there's always a slight thing of, maybe they're not going to turn up or maybe, well, and, and so we, the, the, the interview always starts with, yay, there you are, woo, yeah. And our guests are greeted like a liberating army.
1: <laughs> next question what have I got okay John Goering on Twitter asks is there more to come from N M S F O S? s okay so I think he means NMSOS yeah. he's split sourceful into two words there yeah. Um yeah is there, any, is there any more to come are you an English can't, teacher John we can't <laughs> say can we if there's more we to come can't say
0: can I also just point this out as something that happens on social media a lot which is that if you ever say you're gonna if you ever say you're doing a gig somewhere, like I'm doing a little in conversation thing in Amsterdam next week, and someone goes, Any dates planned for Israel, why aren't you coming to Brisbane? Come to Brazil, or it's always come in Brazil. And um, people should realise that if if I say or if anyone says, like with Source Full of Secrets, you know, oh, yeah, are you doing any Australian dates? You know, if if we go, Yes, then we've just announced a tour. You yeah. can't announce at all by replying to someone on Facebook. So yeah. I wish people would realise that there's no
1: point asking that question. So there you are. So basically, you're telling John there's no point asking this question. Exactly. I think fair enough to say that we... No, no, would No,
0: no, I'm not saying... It's no, 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 because the question is, is there more to come? And we
1: would dearly hope there's more to come. We dearly hope there's more to come. There's no end to this yeah, yet. So and, there you go. Uh, but we have given... 20 weeks or something of, our, of last, our lives this year alone. Yeah. To to we're doing a fantastic tour playing Echoes. What a joy every yeah. night. I mean, wow, there's that, that if anything's going to ever keep me on my toes. You know, they say when you get to our age we should do the crossword, you know, to keep your brain alive. The, the other thing is you should also do Echoes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Your doctors have started prescribing it.
1: Go on, you you ask one guy. All right.
0: Jeff go. Wilson emailed to ask if Gary ever happened to catch the sex pistols at the screen on the green. <laughs> yes, I've often wanted this, Gary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, funny you should ask that. <laughs> uh, I did. Am I going to really do this again? I don't want to because I, you know, I did. Yes, of course I did. Changed my life. Thanks, Jeff. Good...
0: Nice one, Jeff. Top mark, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. It should have
1: been a question of me asking you, really.
0: Yes. yes. Oh, oh, that, no. oh that, no, that would hurt too much.
1: Um, I'll find one now for you. Okay, so, so I've got one for you. Uh, Penny, no, she hasn't put a second name. Penny asks, you guy, uh, you say you don't actually recall your performance on like a prayer are there other recordings that you realized you'd overlooked or frankly realized were more complex than expected uh, when you've revisited, them, revisited uh, them yeah there's lots of uh, there's a uh,
0: actual live performances and recordings i tend to i don't tend to not really remember i remember all the stuff around them it's quite a funny thing that i don't know if that's a sort of going into a zone but um when you say things are more complex when you revisit them you know, during lockdown, as well as doing this, I was doing those lockdown licks, right? Where I was showing people how I played bass on various records. And what was brilliant about that was going back to things I hadn't played for 30 years and something. And it's like having a conversation with your younger self. Huh. And anything past a certain time was just like, oh yeah, it's this guy, I know this guy. But what was really interesting for me was like doing things like Ice House songs, like the first album I ever worked on. And you're, you're literally having to remember who this person is. I don't know if you get that, Gary, with very well, stuff. You, I, I just, g- uh, that's like, oh, I had to think about what I was doing, why I did you know. And there's stuff you think, oh, God, I wish yeah. I still did that.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you, you change your style, don't you? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure you, you've, you've grown and
0: Well, you become and... a person, don't you? Know, you kind of, you know, and then, but yeah, I mean, Sources has definitely changed because the majority of what I play the last few years has been kind of, you know, rock music with a pick, and it does change you.
1: Yeah, but but also, I suppose when you in those early days when you were recording, you would have been trying to copy someone else, wouldn't you? And so there wasn't you hadn't found who Guy was yet.
0: Yeah, and I mean, also, maybe. and it, it's everything's ego driven as well, isn't it? When you are a kid, which is terrible for a bass player.
1: <laughs> I think one of the f- best things I yes, someone did ask, and I can't see where their name is, but someone asked what my favorite uh, bass part that you play on is. Oh. And I think it's sorrow.
0: Oh, okay, but well, that's not actually my line. That's that is was it a, not your
1: line? That's not no, I like it.
0: Yeah, that's why you like it. It was actually David no, but, on a bass synth.
1: But on Pulse I like, but I, I do. Pulse it is Live. one of the
0: pink Four things I do feel very much a sort of ownership of. Why is that? Because I I kind of made it my own. I mean, it's it's, it's very brilliant. different to how David played it. But, but played I it think bass that bass was kind of what was more the it, that's actually that that part gave was the inspiration for Earth Song by Michael Jackson that sort of lumbering. Ah. Yeah. Do you know my favourite? I mean, there's there's lots of your stuff. Where I, I particularly like the guitar on Through the Barricades. I really love the way you play the riff on our Fly for You.
1: Oh, uh, oh, thank you very much. Um, I suppose, uh, you know, those early 80s stuff, really, I, or that mid-80s stuff, that would have been, that was all Nile Rodgers influenced, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and wanting to get, you know, wanting to get that transparent, Fendery type
0: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: Okay, uh, this is from Mark Tibbles, who wants to know who threw the best after-show parties.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you something, right? For a start, uh, obviously Pink Floyd threw the best after-show parties uh, because they, they were insane. And in fact, there was a time we used to be followed around Europe by Prince Rupert Loewenstein, you know, the Stones manager at the time who was hustling for the Pink Floyd gig. And so he used to throw these parties that no one really knew about. And he sort of at first in places without anyone knowing. But I remember in, was was it 1986, you played at Wembley Arena, Gary, and I think you played for five nights or six, three, six nights And you had a party at the Holiday Inn Swiss Cottage every night. And I went to see you. um, I went to see you at Wembley once, and it was great. But I think I went to the party four nights running.
1: (laughs) 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 Hang on. Are you sure you just didn't stay there? Uh, Probably. For four nights. Well, I only lived around the corner at the time. (laughs) But what about uh, Madonna? Didn't you ever go to a Madonna party? You must have gone
0: to Madonna. No, I haven't actually. No, I, I only, uh, not an after show party. I, I once got taken into an inner sanctum to meet her before a gig, which I find weird because because the Stones do this as well, don't they, where you, um, yeah. when you go and see the Stones, if you know someone in the band, when, you know, we went to see and to meet up with uh, my dear pal Chuck Lavelle, and they have a whole pre-show thing. They do, yeah. Because they're just like yeah, and then some people will be around in the hotel after. I don't want to see anyone before a show. I mean, I, just, I just don't want to see anyone at all. No, we always
1: well, apart from the band, obviously. Well,
0: yeah, well, I've got much choice there. But the
1: Stones ones are like it's like a giant sort of uh, sort of bullseye almost. It's like there's the outer circle bit where Charlie. Well, no, you've got Chuck Lavelle maybe hovering on the outer circle. Then, if you go into, you get invited into the next layer, don't you? You've got Charlie. What are you or saying? You did have. Lisa, what do you mean on the outer? What are you? What are you saying here? <laughs> because it is because no, no. because it's basically you go deeper and deeper. You get you get a, you, you, until you've got like a there's Mick you and then finally there's an inside room and it's keith playing pool isn't it you know, yeah his, <laughs> I like, his
0: whole dressing room bit was called camp x-ray wasn't it
1: <laughs> no one ever gets the keith
0: though do they you, you you'll always i did have a look think... in his little dressing room and he had a shrine with jerry lee lewis and sort of george lewis jerry lee lewis and sort of candles and incense and everything weird
1: amazing <laughs> i told this story before because uh, when john taylor was on i think but uh um about talking about parties. And I remember we were all, um, we were doing a TV show or gig or something in Ibiza. And it was a special event thing. And Duran were playing on it too. I think it had something to do with the- It was the Olympics. Olympics. It was, I remember. Because my girlfriend
0: uh, at the time went out to it. I didn't, she did.
1: And we arrived and we were told, oh, there's a party at Roman Polanski's house, which of course we all went to. And we went, 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 and uh, we're at this party, and 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 Steve Dagger, who managed Spandau Ballet, had, had got a call. A butler came and said, there's a call for you, Mr. Mr. Dagger. Mr. Dagger, is a call for Mr. Dagger. So Steve ends up finding this telephone. And um, it's uh, the local airport, and air traffic control have had a message from a, from a private plane that's coming in to land, carrying Duran Duran. And it says, Duran Duran wants to know if you're going out. <laughs> it actually bothered air traffic control ubiza oh course, so- I said, we, we, we are out we gave them the address and they turned up
0: yeah and you made sure you'd left by the time they got there obviously of course it was um, rubbish. i should no, do you know what i think they're probably the best after show party i've ever been to i, uh, I managed I, I went to a wall one one night that was pretty mad i was caught but it was when the who did their star-studded performance of tommy at the universal amphitheater in la in 1989 and the party afterwards was a full old 1950s British funfair. Like, oh. literally, Ferris wheel, big dipper. I went to that. Villa.
1: That rings a bell.
0: Yeah, it was mm. it was nuts.
1: Yeah, maybe I was Fish there. Fish and
0: chip vans everywhere. Yes, I was there. Yes. Fabulous. I, I didn't see
1: you. No, I was avoiding you. <laughs> <laughs> I was dressed differently.
0: <laughs> so there's been a few people asking how Gary and I first met. And, uh... This actually kind of came up in the Andrew Lloyd Goldham thing, which is that um, we were sort of nodding acquaintances at parties throughout the eighties, but but it was we met properly several years before we became friends because I was so enamoured of Steve Dagger, the manager. That's because I I knew John Keeble a little bit because I was very good friends with his sister-in-law,
1: drummer and spanner.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, we. Um, but Gary and I first met when the band I was in, Ice House, did uh, apparently co-headliner for a big German TV company, although it was actually a mime thing, in an arena in Budapest in 1984.
1: Yes. Didn't you get an ear infection and have I to got, go to the hospital?
0: I got a terrible ear infection and got sent off. I'd had an ear infection before, so I'd been sent off to some insane you know, um, sanatorium outside a town to see a doctor. It was ter- it's, it's, it's all documented in my book. It's very funny, um, but I'd been given this ridiculous amount me. Of, yeah, ridiculous <laughs> amount of painkillers and stuff, really hardcore stuff, um, which I shared with Spandau Ballet. I think Gary, you demurred very wisely because the evening did end up with um, John Keeble, your drummer, being sick in an ashtray.
1: Oh, you see, that's it. You see, yeah, because I always demur. And John Keeble always ends up last second. <and astray. laughs> um, but, but, we we had a big we had a big uh, face-off party once with 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 Duran um, where D- D- we were doing a TV in Germany, and it was the night before uh, recording the Band Aid record. Actually, it was the first time we'd ever been together in a bar after in a hotel since you know we played up in there up, up in Birmingham in 1980. Um, and so we knew it was gonna be a bit of a drink off. And, and, and what was really upsetting was that John Keeble got so overexcited, he came too soon and he got stretched off before the Twiglets even arrived. <laughs> you know, I mean, once you'd lost your star player, yeah, you, you right, know, yeah. I knew it was all over. <laughs> I think it ended up with Martin and John Taylor in one or the other's hotel room. Uh, both with their own personal security guards standing behind them while they <laughs> sat and tried to stay up as long <laughs> as they possibly could. I'm sure they had all the help they needed.
0: But yeah, the night we met, we probably, anyway, we ended up in a hotel room. Though you did say up quite late, because I, ended up, I remember I was with you and Martin and your dresser or your wardrobe person who right. was very, who'd been sort of, I don't know, stung in Malaga. <laughs> I mean, I was had a terrible breakup with someone and you yeah, right. and that's where the Portuguese the, man of war didn't seem in uniform <laughs> okay. um and uh so that but we became friends um when Steve Dagger asked when when Gary was going to do his first solo album and Steve Dagger asked me to help and um, put a band together for you and um uh, yeah. and the irony of all that being was that we, and it was brilliant you had all these great songs you had a great little band and, and went and demoed them all and then you went to make the album. And I went off on tour with Pink Floyd. So I ended up playing on one song on your album. You did. But yeah. I remember that
1: rehearsal. We had a rehearsal at Gnomah Studios, which that's was right. everyone, everyone rehearsed at Nomis Studios in those days. And I remember the band being set up. And who walked in? Oh, Pete. Pete no. Townsend yeah. walked in. And he went, at last, you've got a fucking guitar around your neck. Because I'd been doing some acting stuff, hadn't I? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. That's doing... right, yeah. <laughs> and I've never forgot that. And I was very, very glad that he said that it it's, inspires me whenever I've not got a fucking guitar around my neck
0: yeah well the irony being that it inspired us to go off and write a musical together so you actually took the guitar off <laughs> put on your sleeveless jumper and got your pens in your pocket
1: yes <laughs> weenie
0: <laughs> right Beth Wilson asks we watched The Bodyguard again last night which is 30 years old this year mm. was Size Spectre as fun to play as it seems and why does the film still hold its own three decades later
1: well, I suppose it's a really good film, you know. I mean, it's got, uh, you know, it's a thriller and it's... I mean, is it dated now? I don't know. I haven't watched it for for so long. Um, Everything dated.
0: Everything's dated.
1: Fantastic vocal performance from Whitney yeah. and an acting performance from Whitney. I mean, I remember being in Miami when she shot... A, I was sitting in the ballroom in the Fontainebleau Hotel and she is about to, as the character, Sing uh, one of the, one of the songs at a show, and the the backing track began, and she sang "I will always love you." And I, I mean, the talk about you know the goosebumps experience mm-hmm. and all of that. What a moment! And you just thought, well, that's that's it now. This film is a is a hit. But why didn't they use one of my songs? That's always been <laughs> my biggest regret. No, no, I think it's. I think the films. I mean, you know, it's it's a great scriptwriter good director and it, it just it all you know it was a it's a classic it's almost like it could have been carrie grant and doris day or something couldn't it you know really yeah, it could yeah, have yeah, been yeah. well it's, it's written in that vein okay there's one for you could it's just, this is from m brabs on twitter uh or Brabs. uh could guy talk about his experience playing with bowie on his last live show in the uk when he guested with david gilmore
0: uh yeah um well you'll like this gal because it's about bowie um it's yeah i mean first it was it was it was actually his penultimate ever gig and was, and it was his last proper gig it was his last public gig because the only gig he ever did after that was some charity thing in New York um and it was because Nick belshaw Nick belshaw our tour manager was Bowie's production manager and was sort of, he was in touch with him and everything and Bowie just happened to be in London i think he was showing his daughter and Iman around his childhood haunts and everything and uh and, and i think we, he'd ha- and and he, Nick just said, "Shall I ask Bowie to come down and sing?" And we just went, "Yeah, sure, all right, yeah, ha ha." Like that's going to happen. And then next thing we just like, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "Yes, he's coming." And so it was like, oh, "So that's why we decided to do Arnold Lane." And um, and then comfortably numb. What was amazing was when he sang Arnold Lane. What was so lovely about that was that he knew that song inside, outside, upside down. It's like he'd been yeah. singing it every night for his yeah. whole life. You know, that's how much he loved Sid um comfortably numb I don't think he really knew at all but he just and but David said no no we've got to have him doing the verses and the funny thing is that David had had to bully and cajole and push Rick into singing the verses for comfortably numb which he eventually did you know magnificently but then he didn't want to give him up now he got used to doing it. Okay, but it's David. No, well, I sing the verses. It's David Bowie, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in the end, so th- th- there's some great photos of David Rick and and um, Bowie re- rehearsing together.
1: Oh, of yeah, Brad, I've Rick, yeah, them.
0: and uh, so it, it was just you know magnificent when he uh, came. Of course, the, the funny what being my favourite story about it is that I have a picture from 1983 when I was on tour with Icehouse and Bowie came to see it because we were about to support Bowie. And he came to see us. And and I got ended up with Bowie and his band grabbing hold of me and saying, you need to be in this, when he was getting papped. So I've got a picture of me and Bowie. And I'm standing there pointing at myself with this ridiculous, who, me, expression. And we did all these sort of team pictures after soundcheck uh, with all the guests, with Robert Wire and David Crosby and Bowie. You know, everyone happened to be there on the day. And I was writing my book at the time. So I... Uh, Afterwards, I pulled Bowie aside and just said, David, look, I hope you don't mind, but I'd kind of like to recreate a picture you and I had taken back in 1983. He went, all right. So stood next to him, Brian Rayson, the photographer, goes to take the picture. And I pulled the same expression I'd had back in 1983. And Bowie went, I remember that picture. I said, no, you don't. He went, yeah, Ice House, Germany, 1983. What? That is amazing. He said, I was wearing this scarf. Oh, my God. that's So I rushed home. Find the picture, took out the picture and uh, complete bollocks he wasn't wearing a scarf at all he's
1: such a joker
0: yeah but he well, did, did he... remember he did remember the picture but and he was also the one thing i will say because the last time i played at the albert hall with david we actually had benedict cumberbatch come up and do come i saw that, that. yeah, yeah. and but the one bit of advice i there's I, the one bit of advice i gave benedict i said once you've done your second verse okay as soon as david starts a guitar solo just leave because well, that was going to be my question, did Bowie stay on stage? Bowie during did so Bowie is the, Bowie is the only person who ever lived who was cool enough to actually manage to stand next to David for five minutes while that's what I there would have loved.
1: What I would have loved to have seen was for Bowie to have got on his knees and played David's guitar with his teeth. Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh, good for him. God bless him. We miss him. We do miss him.
0: Yeah, that was a, That was so, it was, but I will just say that was just beyond magical. And you know what? And it also actually made me rethink Arnold Lane because um, I'd never really thought about the line two to no, two to no, two to no. And it's, which is, of course, means the protagonist, Sid character, has perhaps done something similar himself. And yeah. when Bowie sang it, he held up two fingers that looked like a peace sign. Me, you know, whenever he sang two to no. And on the source for the secret, store, I've actually worked out a way of playing the bass where I can have open strings on the two moments. So I copy Bowie and hold up my hands.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: When he does the two to know,
1: I'm not looking at you at that point. No, the, the audience
0: never like. pick up on it, but I'm going to keep I, doing it.
1: But I think it's worth saying, because well, I mean, I've said this before. In fact, I've said everything before. Um, <laughs> Christ I, have you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there wouldn't have been Bowie and Ziggy if it hadn't been for Sid, no, you know cool that not. look, that that particular London elfin, you know, rather loose kind of character that that Sid was, that Bowie wanted to be and became, you know, and and obviously told us that when he did see Emily play on the Pin Ups album. Yeah, that,
0: but you know. also that whole thing of, of of an English way of singing that wasn't Anthony Newley.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I think there was there was you know, I think that must've been a wonderful, well, it was a wonderful moment watching Bowie do that song on stage because it was, you know, he's always been very open about, about his influences. I think the I think Pin Ups is one of the great, great albums, you know, but, but you look at it now and you say, well, some strange choices that must've been for a young person like me to, I never even heard of most of those bands that he was covering at that time.
0: Well, also you know, things like when he revealed, you know, you, you didn't realise, what an absolute proto-rock record can't explain was until Bowie did it and showed you what it was. That's that's all the questions we've got time for.
1: Yes, but uh, there is this final thought from someone that was, you know, what has rock 'n' taught us? What do we think of doing this show? Because uh, when we first started out, it was just a, an excuse to have, a, you know, me and you hang out and chat with a
0: yeah with someone uh, that we we liked. Well, uh, one does feel a slight mantle of responsibility now, because it has become no. Who was there? Was someone? You know, someone put up a thing on Twitter today, uh, saying saying you should listen to Rock on Tours because it is literally the oral history of rock music.
1: I think it's a bit like you know, but a world and the World at War documentary series. You know, where they're yes. interviewing all the old soldiers. You know, talking about the past, and I couldn't imagine a place that existed quite as. Incredible as, as as the period that was Europe in World War Two, and in a way, a lot of our listeners think, you know, with even us, you know, because we're young, you know, yeah. compared to to the, the to the gods, what an amazing time it must have been to be inventing rock music in in the in the Western world during the sixties. Well, and just so.
0: that whole yeah, that that you know, the last the, that whole generational excitement. So, so the thing that that I don't like, well, not what that I don't like, but that does worry me a bit which is that thing because what I do love about the show is the fact that we, we've never ever had a guest on where I haven't learned something even like someone like Nick
1: okay thank you we're going to be uh, still making this happen uh, throughout the next year
0: we are because amazingly we've met I mean because what came from just scrabbling around our address books to, so we've got always eternally grateful by the way to those first few people who said yes to us who had no idea what they were letting themselves in for and, um, and you know we're luckily we're big enough names to give us a, a leg up to keep going
1: yeah um i think we're also you know we're, we're toying with the idea of doing this live aren't we at some point we're trying to get love it out to it. do this live so you know that's a that's a thought we're putting out there into the ether um and it's hopefully it's just onwards
0: and upwards for us and all of us
1: good night from me and good night from them